Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Coviello and the Drop-In CEO, and I'm so grateful you have dropped in on another episode of the podcast where week after week, I find amazing guests who share their insights and potentially inspire you. And if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell others. Don't keep this resource to yourself. We want other people to benefit from amazing programming. And just know, I am here to help the C-suite leader of today and tomorrow navigate your challenges with confidence. And today, I am so excited to learn more about this amazing guest, Eran Mizrahi, who is the CEO of Ingredient Brothers and grew up watching his father grow a successful import business that was built on integrity and and customer service. And as a South African transplant, he started his career in Deloitte. And from there, he came to New York to pursue his MBA. And finally, he has come to starting with nuts.com and gaining that experience and now in his own business. So I am grateful and so interested in hearing the rest of his story. Eran, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Deb. Glad to be here. Yeah, so it was so interesting, amazing, the network. He has an amazing team behind him. They were looking in search of podcasts, and they found my podcast. And when I saw his background in the ingredient business, if you have been listening to for some time, you know that I have spent the last 15 or 20 years in the fragrance and flavors industries. And raw materials and ingredients are so critical to create the experiences for our end users. And sometimes it is a challenge to find those amazing ingredients. So I would love to learn more about him and his business and the work he's doing now. So I hand the mic over to you to share a bit about yourself personally, as well as the journey and the work that you're doing now. Uh, thanks so much. And, uh, you know, excited to be here. I think, you know, it's nice to see that we have common common background. You don't find that so often. And just to go into my background, so I'm originally from South Africa, you know, came here about 10 years ago for, for grad school. Uh, following grad school, you know, was very fortunate to get into a food startup really where that accelerated my passion for supply chain as well as the food space. And and then I was and then I was at nuts.com where I was a CEO there. And, and I think through both my times, really saw an opportunity to improve the B2B ingredient space. I think it's, you know, it was one area that always felt like there was a need for a little bit more technology, maybe a little bit better service. And, you know, not to say that the people out there aren't doing a great job already, but, they, you know, there seemed to be a lot of white space to to come in and really challenge the status quo. And so in 2021, I left my co-founder to to leave his his job and, and I left Nuts.com and we started Ingredient Brothers together. And really simple methodology, right? We're here to try and make your ingredient search and ingredient procurement process a lot easier and a lot more seamless with a real focus on customer service. And, you know, we've been around for two years now. It's been a roller coaster journey, as I'm sure every entrepreneur has during their first few years. And thankfully, you know, really proud of the of the work that we've done and the growth that we've had. Um, and, you know, now we, we're, we're proud to say we supply some really big brands with, with some of their key ingredients. Fascinating story. And I, I was going to ask a joke first, but I'm going to ask this. So... <laughs> 
No, I'm going to ask the joke for you nuts <laughs> starting your own business. Did you think about them yourself? Did people say that to you before you guys decided to go out on your own? Yeah, I think I've always had that entrepreneurial flair. So I think people weren't necessarily surprised that I decided to do it. I think that having decided to start an import business in 2021, when every port was congested and people had containers on the water for multiple months at a time, I think that's when people thought I was nuts. Um, you know, why are you starting this business now? It doesn't make any sense because we can't get our containers in. What what makes you think you're going to be different? And I just think, you know, for me, it was just the right time to do it. And I thought like, you know, if not now, then when? And so we went for it. And, and you know, thankfully, like that also led to some opportunity just because you know, volatility leads to opportunity and people looking for something different. And and we were there, you know, and and we were able to have those conversations. What makes you and your partner and your company, Ingredient Brothers, a little bit different? Because I know you said it about customer service and a little bit of technology. Let's go a little bit deeper in there, because if there is somebody out there that is looking for something different and you provide the products they need, I want them to know more about you. What makes you so special? Yeah, I think a lot of it stems from our communication and our process. We have a pretty sizable team uh, for the revenue that we do, and we have a team that spans the globe. So, you know, we we haven't focused our team solely in the U.S. We have people in the Philippines, South America, South Africa that work with us. And what that does is, one, gives us the ability to run 24 hours a day, five days a week. And so we're able to react a lot quicker and get, you know, Getting to our suppliers is really, really fast and like react really fast and turnaround time for, you know, questions or QA requests happen extremely fast. And that's been one really big, you know, driving difference that we've had as we've scaled the business. And then, you know, trying to be a little bit more transparent. I think, you know, again, like B2B space, people are always, you know, keeping their information close to their chest. And, uh, you know, especially when I think about my dad's business, you know, when he started, like technology wasn't there, your supplier, like finding a supplier was really hard. And I think the the environment has changed a little bit now with, the, you know, with so much information available online, it's almost easy to find the supplier. It's all the other stuff around it that becomes incredibly difficult, right? The ability to, you know, do the service over and over again consistently. And so I think we spend a lot of time trying to you know, give more transparency to that service. And I think, you know, that's been appreciated a lot by by our customers. You know, you touch a particular pain point. I'm glad you talked about this. Again, you've got people all over the globe. I, I do recall working for a large multinational company. Yes, we had people all over the globe, but they work kind of in their silo time zone. If you sent an email, sometimes you have to wait 12, 18 hours before you could get a response. If you're lucky enough to be within six or nine hours, you'd have to be up super early in the morning. They would be up super late. It did make business challenging. But then how then with your multiple time zones, are you like all working on the same thing? And so what? So how have you been able to leverage that so you can get that speed to market much quicker? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question, and I'm not sure that we figured it out completely yet. Um, to your point, it is, you know, having people work across multiple time zones can be challenging. But at the same time, you know, our suppliers, you know, work in those time zones. And so when, let's say, the U.S. is not um, is not awake, and so it actually benefits us a lot. And so what we, what we focus on a lot is how to improve asynchronous communication so that when we're logging off in the evening, that the team that logs on, who's really responsible for the QA side, the supply chain sourcing side of the business, they have enough context to understand, okay, these are the things that came in overnight. Now let's go and, you know, interact with the suppliers who are also, you know, logging on for the first time to get real answers so that when you log on again, you know, you've got 
you know concrete answers that make sense and that have you know have context. And so I think that is really the you know w- what can lead to delays more than anything is just like you know losing context or you know if something isn't communicated properly, then you can waste a day. And I think regardless of whether we had a team or not, that would still happen. And so we spend a lot of time trying to improve that. Well, that is definitely valuable to people who need your products or services. But at the same time, there's the good side and then the challenging side. You have people all over the world. You're building a company, trying to build the culture. What are some of the challenges you have had with that kind of environment and how have you overcome it? Yeah, I think, you know, at the beginning, it's really trying to figure out, you know, how to hire, what is the profile that you're looking for and who does well in a remote setting. And I think, you know, that we spent a little bit of time and we made a few mistakes, but I think we've built a good recruiting process now where we can identify, you know, the right candidate who we think will do well in a, an environment that has, you know, multiple time zones as well as, you know, fully remote and being fully remote because that comes with a lot of responsibility. It gives a lot of freedom, but also has a lot of responsibility. And so finding the right person to take on that challenge, I think, is is important. And And then we spend a lot of time working together on trying to figure out how to improve process. And so, you know, that we know that if we can figure this out, it's going to be a game changer for us in the industry. And so we spend a lot of time, you know, making this one of our core focuses. And I think that's where, you know, if it isn't one of your core focuses and you just decide, hey, we're just going to hire five people in Argentina and see how that goes, I think you'll likely not succeed. But if your core focus is like, hey, one of the cornerstones of our business is building a truly global team that can operate effectively, then you spend the time trying to make that work. And I think that that is where we've been been able to, to be different. Now, that's really, really a good point because we have to focus on the long-term strategy. What are our values? How do we want to operate and then find the people that fit into that? Sometimes people will simply say, I just want to offshore my work from a business perspective without giving suitable thought on what are those key characteristics we need in those people and let's search the globe for them. So kudos to you for doing that. Yeah, I think one interesting thing that to your point, which, you know, I hear a lot, which is like the silo, you know, building a team offshore to perform a certain task. And then, you know, that normally what happens is that you have the silo who's overseas and then a team somewhere else who's making the decisions. And that silo is almost, you know, separated from from the from the group. Um, and it's difficult for them, their voice to be heard. And I think because we started remote first, global first, everyone is almost you know, they're part of the DNA of the company. And so their decisions and their decision-making, you know, rights are, you know, equal across the company. And that, to me, it makes it more appealing for someone that we're recruiting and also makes it more effective. And I think that that's a key difference for us. We're not just siloing out a certain task to, you know, five people somewhere. It's, this is our team. This is our leadership team. These are our, you know, employees. And so that has been impactful in, in at least accelerating the growth of the company. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. When you focus on the people, celebrate their strengths, support them in what they need. Technically, they know their job. Sometimes when we don't focus enough on like, what are the barriers that keep them from being effective and then closing those gaps, uh, ultimately, you're going to have that high performance global team. So really, really appreciate what you do. But I want to come back to you a little bit in building a business. Mm -hmm. I know there's so many topics you want to talk about, but I also am curious. I'm on a journey as well. Two parts to this question is when, or do you, <laughs> when did you feel like you arrived? Like, okay, I had this business concept and I think I'm at this place where I've got traction, we're viable, and this is a real thing. And then 
the part two, if you want, is what keeps you up at night while you're building a business as well. So wins, but also what keeps you up. Yeah, I think every time I th- I set a milestone and then we hit it, then when I hit it, I say, oh wow, we actually haven't arrived yet. And so it's <laughs> it's like a moving target um, in terms of you know that feeling. I think that we have overcome certain obstacles that have made it you know the business feel a lot more viable. And so you know number one was you know figuring out financing. You know, importing is a highly capitalized business. You need a lot of working capital. And so we were you know lucky enough to get some help at the beginning, and then you know, move on to our own, you know, credit line, which has really helped just give me peace of mind, right? That was something that I would say was keeping me up a lot at the beginning was like, how are we going to fund this if we get these deals? And so that has, you know, like, you know, that took a huge weight off my shoulder and and I think um, continues to be really powerful. And so that, you know, that has made us viable as well as like, you know, closing certain deals and like validation with certain customers. Like, you know, every time we deliver containers of product, I'm like, okay, we can actually do this. This is something that we can do and we're we're being successful. And so I think there is like a little bit that we're chipping away at every day. But at the same time, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, I'm extremely hungry for growth and want to continue to grow the business. Um, I invest as much as possible into people, into, you know, scaling the, the operations, which puts, you know, a lot of strain financially on the business, not too much strain, but it puts strain on the business to grow and close sales and, and, and hit certain targets. And I think that's definitely what keeps me up at night, which is, you know, making sure that one, I am investing enough and not waiting too long to invest. Um, and then two, um, now that I've invested, making sure that I'm, you know, you know, getting the return and that we are closing the sales and hitting those growth numbers. And so those are the things that keep me up at night, right? So, you know, the the, the goalposts just keep moving, um, which is, I guess, part of the fun, right? Oh, it is. Oh, it is. And and again, you speak a little bit to some of my observations, and I wrote this in the book, The CEO's Compass. You know, often business leaders, sometimes they lose sight of what's important. They're very, very focused on the numbers and market share and value and all of that. And if there are investors, that becomes really, really important. And we lose sight of what is it that we're here to do. And in your situation, you have been very focused on creating a differentiated experience, business to business, high level of customer service and quality, leveraging technology such that we can serve people faster. And then you'll figure out how. I just know in my business, I know where I want to go. I can see it. I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to trust the right people and the financing are going to come at the right time. It's a little bit of trust, but also being very rooted in what kind of company you want to build. I wanted to take a moment to remind you that a recent study showed nearly 60% of leaders feel depleted at the end of the day. And this feeling is a key indicator of burnout and makes it difficult to lead and inspire others. If you've ever experienced that restless exhaustion, you know why CEOs are amongst the most likely candidates for experiencing job frustration. I wrote The CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track to confront those feelings and create a plan that is sustainable for you and your organization. I created a seven-point assessment that will help you figure out your problems in days, not months. And it includes so many resources, worksheets, videos, and much, much more. If this is you, please head over to my website, dropinceo.com, and click on my products, The CEO's Compass, and order yours on Amazon or other outlets. And now, back to the conversation. So 
I would just want to talk to you a little bit more because you're, you're very passionate about this area is you like to talk a little bit about solving unique problems will sometimes trump decades worth of experience. And so I think that speaks a little bit to how you problem solve within your company, maybe fostering a culture of innovation. What's your approach to solving problems within the business versus just the experience? Yeah, I think, you know, I had a, I had a boss who told me an anecdote, whether it's true or not, but I think, you know, I think it is true. He was in the, he was in the flower business and there was a quality, you know, quality metric, and it was like, you know, some percentage of defect that they were was acceptable. And the person that was there was the leader in this industry, and everyone was like, "You can't get better than what we're doing now." And he was, you know, adamant that you could. And he landed up bringing in someone from the semi, you know, from Intel, and where error rates are like zero point zero 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 percent, right? Like you have to operate at like a extremely high degree of of quality, and so that completely changed how they thought about quality within the flower industry and managed to, you know, lift up that business tremendously. And that, that always stuck with me because I think, you know, you want to be able to, as a leader, set targets for people, but not necessarily tell them how they solve the problem and, you know, challenge everything. Like, I think there is like an ability, constant improvement. And so the way we do it in Green Brothers, which is to try and set people up in the direction where they need to go but not necessarily tell them how to get there. And I think that that allows for creative solutions, be it, you know, if a customer comes to us with a request, allowing someone to just go and try and figure it out, even if, you know, it's been done one way for so many years, try and break down the barrier and see if you can do it another way. And I think that that's been some of the most eye-opening for me is like has been unexpected in terms of some of the sales we've won, where I was completely sure we wouldn't win it because I was, very biased to what I knew. And my team was able to prove me wrong and and figure something out that I could never have thought of. So this is why I get so excited when I find people that have similar mindset. Again, I'm open to new ideas. But when you tell people you come to work, here's your job description, and you got to get this result. People rise to the level of mediocrity and their jobs become simply a transaction and they just get the result. If you say we want to grow our business to X over the next couple of years at this kind of quality, what do you think? <laughs> and when you bring people's minds and ask them what they think, not just what they're doing right now, but gosh darn it, they could have well had their own business maybe in another country 20 years ago. They may have insight that you never even knew. When you ask them why or how or bring their minds, what do you think? You get a whole new level of performance and you, like you say, may get results that you never, ever expected from your people. Yeah, completely agree. I think there is you know, there is value in constraining a team and just, you know, setting up the boundaries. Because I think that that, you know, if you just told someone just you run and they say where and you're like anywhere, that can be dangerous. And like it leads to like, you know, I would say, you know, a culture where people don't feel safe and secure and like moving in the direction. But if you can create like good constraints around the direction and the strategy of the business, but then allow people to bring creativity and how to achieve those, I think that's where you really get people to run fast and to, you know, because they understand the rules. And if they understand the rules, then they can be really creative within those rules. And that's, you know, like Nancy Silverton always thought that like, you know, baking bread was boring because it's four ingredients. And then she realized that like those four constraints actually made it the most creative process that she could ever have. And so I always remember that baking, you know, analogy that, stuck with me too because it's you know four ingredients sounds so simple but you can spend your life mastering and 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 operating within those four constraints and become you know and you know create incredibly creative 
solutions or products. All right. Beautiful insights, beautiful insights. Now, I do want to switch gears a little bit because I, I talk about this as well. When I was in a corporate environment, I didn't know much about networking. I didn't have good models for networking. And once I had to start my own business, oh my, networking had been a challenge. I hadn't didn't have a large external network. And, and the point I like to make for people, whether they have their own business or they are within the constraints of a company, building a network is so important. But I believe that you have some very specific insights or maybe even some examples about the power of networking and entrepreneurship and how that work can build some amazing connections and who knows where the results might be. So tell us a little bit more about your experience and how it's helped you. Yeah, I mean, networking has been invaluable. I'd say like, you know, going into business school, didn't realize how much networking was involved and and learning, let's say, that skill of networking. But the U.S. entrepreneurial culture and community is incredible. And there is uh, you know, once you're in it and you're you're navigating it, there seems to be a lot of people willing to open their door and really help you. And I'd say, you know, from personal anecdote of things that have come up as a surprise was, you know, I tried to hire someone multiple times, actually, and they were never interested, but I never stopped and we became friends. And then when I left nuts and I was like, hey, I'm not trying to hire you, but I would love to work with you as a as a supplier that landed up, you know, working out really well. And so, you know, that's one example. And then um, another is, you know, our financing line really came from a string of like six conversations that I had randomly through just messaging people on LinkedIn that got me to a place where we met a really great lender. And I think, you know, I always try and end the conversations when I have them with like, who else can you introduce me to? Who else can I speak to that you think would be helpful? And, you know, building this power of introduce being, you know, as soon as you meet someone thinking about who can you introduce them to? And I love doing that a lot, right? Which is like, oh, you should speak to this person. They'll be helpful. And then, you know, making sure you're making a conscious effort to expand your network because you just don't know, you know, the conversations that feel like they're going to be the most useless land up, always land up being the most valuable for some reason. And, uh, you know, that's something that I've learned the hard way. Sometimes I go into meetings and think it's, this is not good. It's going to be a waste of my time. And I come out being super excited about the conversation I had. So, you know, just, uh, I think always be open, always say yes. And it's, it's, it's a very powerful community, especially in the entrepreneurship space. So this is going to be you and me just talking business here because the networking, that art form has been very interesting to me. I have been heavily involved in networking communities, meeting people, trying to figure out who I can connect them with, and they doing the same. And you wind up sometimes having a lot of conversations and you know they're not necessarily getting an ROI or they're very nice people. They're interesting. And let me put you on my list of people in case I need to know somebody over there. But so often it is tiring. And exhausting. And then on the flip side, people that maybe you knew five, six, 10 years ago, all of a sudden you become top of mind and there's an opportunity. I'm just curious how you balance constantly. Like, where have you found the most benefit have come from? New introductions or the ones that you've invested with a long time ago and maybe maintained a relationship? I'm just curious what's worked for you. I mean, honestly, it's both. And okay. so, you know, to your point about like balancing priorities, you know, when we started the business and I, you know, would switch on my computer in the morning and 
not know what to do, right? Because no one tells you how to start a business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would just set up meetings and network and I would spend my weekends on LinkedIn just messaging people. And I think I had 150 meetings within the first six months of the business starting. Mm -hmm. And then now that's gone down tremendously. But I think, you know, I, I still am conscious about maintaining that, you know, having those conversations. And then I have my few people that are my, you know, key people in my network that I lean on a lot. And then, you know, the extended network that I try and keep in touch with, you know, once a quarter or, you know, even once every six months. But, um, you know, you just don't know. And so um, sometimes the new people just, you know, you meet someone and there's an immediate, you know, understanding of where you could add value into each other's lives. And that 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 works really well. And so um, I'm always trying to speak to new people and, and, and get to know them and see how I can be helpful. And then, you know, maybe they can be helpful with us. So let me just ask you a little bit more about the name of the company, Ingredient Brothers. You said you went into business, the partner, but are, is he your brother or just what, where did the name come from? Just curious about that. Yeah, so you know, Alep's not, not my brother, but, uh, you know, we worked together at Nuts.com and we would always talk about, so his name is Alep Patel, and we would always talk about Patel Brothers, the Indian grocery store that yes, is yes. incredible and has so many different ingredients. And I would always say, well, oh, we got we to gotta build a Patel Brothers one day. We got to build a Patel Brothers. And then <laughs> we were trying to think of names and I don't know who who came up with it. And we just thought, hey, what about Ingredient Brothers? Like that works, right? And uh, it will confuse people when they see us at shows and we don't look the same. And so we were like, okay, <laughs> let's do it. And it it it, it it worked really well. So it's a, you know we we love the name and yeah we're you know not biologically brothers but we we definitely feel like brothers especially going through this together. Oh, that's really really cool. And then just the other thing is is like, you know what what hats do you each wear? Your title is CEO. Like, what is their role in all of this? And what strengths do each of you bring to this entity? Yeah, so I love focus a lot on the supply chain side, so the difficult side of the business. He really focuses on execution on logistics, QA, sourcing, um, and making sure like, you know, one, we're sourcing new products for our customers as well as getting them to our customers on time within and like, you know, meeting all the compliance. And there's a lot of compliance that you have to go through. And then I focus on sales, people, finance, um, and, you know, strategy and and, and helping to guide the company through strategy and, and, and growth. And so that's been our splits and has worked out, you know, really well. And I think, you know, going into this, that's what we thought we would both excel on. And I've seen, you know, at times founders like, you know, start to like change it around. But for us, like this has been a really good, good fit for us. And it's worked really well. Yeah, I can relate to that. I mean, I, I've had a couple of clients where I've worked directly with the CEO of the company. And at one point they can run everything, but at some point there's a juncture where you need two separate entities, somebody that is focused maybe externally on the customers, the strategy, the sales, and then one that can focus on the business processes, the execution, so that whatever the sales size throws at them, they can execute because they already have a plan in place. If you try to wear both hats, that becomes very, very challenging and quite exhausting. Yeah, not not possible, right? Especially as you scale. Like, you know, I think I'm very proud that within two years, like I don't really know, have a good grasp of which containers are on the water, where are they, when are they arriving? And so I think that that's a testament to, you know, building process and letting go and being able to, in, you know, trust each other in, in running each part of the business. And then, you know, so that so that we can, you know, accelerate in the places that we're we're, we're working and not having to, you know, jump on each other's, you know, domains. 
So in a couple of years from now, where is Ingredients Brother going to be? What kind of growth, expansion, changes, where do you plan on being? Yeah, I mean, we're going to grow as big as the market will let us grow in a couple okay. of years, right? We're not stopping. And I think so for us, like it's, you know, constant investment in, in in sales and trying to, you know, we're building a really powerful database of ingredients. And so we are very aggressive at sourcing new products and bringing on new ingredients, even if we're not supplying them right now. And so we have hundreds of ingredients that we've sourced and onboarded in our database. And so as we grow, we want to continue to expose that to customers and and be able to like support, you know, large CPG brands as well as smaller businesses that are trying to get off the ground. So, you know, for us, like, you know, what's really important is staying focused on our mission, which is to really help democratize the sourcing experience, the procurement experience, and reduce a lot of that friction. Mm-hmm. Um, and try and do it with as many products from from all around the world. And so, you know, um, you know, that's the the core business side, but then you know, hopefully a really big team. It's been a lot of fun building the team. And so, um, you know, I love hiring people and meeting great people from all over the world. So I really hope that we can continue to hire and and have a team of, you know, 100 people in the next few years. And that would be amazing to to see and, and, and see develop. And you don't seem to worry about there are other ingredient companies. There are a lot of them out there doing similar stuff, and they may get, you know, accounts with some of the very larger companies, but also there's a demographic out there of small, small flavor companies, small food companies, et cetera, that can't, that that need access and, and not to be able to compete to these ingredients. So it's almost like you're just focused on your core business and not worried about whether you're servicing the little guys or the larger companies. You're just focusing on what you can deliver and wherever that shakes out and who really comes to you really doesn't matter. So you can just be in service. So I love your story. It's an amazing story. And I can't wait to see where you're going to be a couple years from now. So as we bring it to a close, I want to just give you the mic one last time. If there's any last messages or inviting people to meet with you, if you're going to be at a show or anything like that, you have the floor to connect with my audience. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're very active on LinkedIn. If you want to find us, um, you know, in Green Brothers on LinkedIn, as well as my profile, Uh, we do attend most of the, the food shows. So we'll be at like Supply Side West, Expo West. Um, in the next few months, and so that you know, if you if you're there, definitely come be, come by and say hi. I think you know, closing remarks is if you're thinking about starting a business, you know, the, it's never there's never a great time. You got to go and do it and take the take the leap, and it's it's a lot of fun and very rewarding. And if you stay focused and you just you know you 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 push forward, I think that yeah, I think a lot of people have the ability to really achieve amazing things on on entrepreneurial journey. So if you're thinking about it. I always tell people you just got to do it. It's a it's a really really fun, stressful, anxiety ridden journey, but very worth it. <laughs> I couldn't say it any better. It is stressful building your own business, but oh my, it is so 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 rewarding when you change people's lives. So thank you, Iran, for uh, dropping in on the Drop In CEO podcast. I'm so grateful to know you, and I do wish you and Ingredient Brothers continued success. Thank you so much, Deb. Lovely to meet you. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who will find it useful and inspiring. When you share this podcast, it allows me to continue to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow to navigate their challenges with confidence. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, 
I wish you well and much success.